This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. In June 2020, Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, announced now is the time for a great reset. What does that mean? Schwab said that the changes we have already seen in response to COVID-19 prove that a reset of our economic and social foundations is possible. The world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Now, the Heartland Institute called this the most ambitious and radical plan the world has seen in more than a generation. Will it be implemented? We don't yet know, but it is clear that 2020 has been a year of massive tectonic plate shifting, and even more of it may be right around the corner. And that should cause all of us to go back to our Bibles to examine the end times, because we know that although all the details are not clear to us yet, at some near point in the future, As my next guest says, apocalypse is coming and Christians should get ready. So we're going to talk about it today with Dr. James DeYoung, Senior Professor of New Testament Language and Literature at Western Seminary, Portland. He's also mayor of Damascus. And today we're going to be talking about his book called The Apocalypse is Coming. And it is Dr. DeYoung, great to have you with us again. Well, good afternoon, uh, Janet. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Well, we're so glad you're here. I know that that's a, a rather depressing title, The Apocalypse is Coming, but it certainly is. And do you think that 2020 is putting that on the front burner a little bit more for the Church? Oh, I certainly do. When I began my book a year and a half ago, I never could have imagined that the events of 2020 would unfold as they have, and therefore I was able to make Uh, a few references to the current struggles facing our country and the world uh, before it finally went to final form in uh, uh, mid-year of 2020 this year. Right. So your timing was impeccable and I'm sure very (laughs) providential as well. How urgent would you say the times are in which we're living right now? I think nobody could have predicted, not just you, I don't think anybody could have predicted the events of 2020 and everything that has gone down this year. But How are you seeing this year in particular from a biblical perspective and especially from the perspective of the end times? Well, let me say, uh, Janet, first of all, that the title of my book, The Apocalypse is Coming, has as its subtitle, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon. Yes. That subtitle captures three main points, I think. Uh, I began this study because of 2 Thessalonians 2, which I'd been teaching in church, and I realized that uh, what Paul said there about the Antichrist is so significant. Uh, The Thessalonian believers uh, were the first date-setters, wrongly so, uh, because they thought they were already living in the last days, that is, living in the day of the Lord. 
That's a phrase that comes from the Old Testament depicting both the judgment of the nations at the end of the age and the deliverance of God's people. And Paul says, well, no, you're not, we are not yet living in the day of the Lord, because two things have to happen before that. And so he goes on to stipulate that there first of all has to come a great apostasy or falling away, that might refer to uh, Christians falling away. It may refer to nations becoming much more aggressive against God and the rebellion of Psalm 2 taking place. But the second item is clear. He said the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. This is one of several titles used in the Bible for the Antichrist. So the man of lawlessness, or the Antichrist, has to be revealed before the end of the age is finally consummated in the day of the Lord. Uh, the Antichrist will be revealed, uh, as Daniel uh, tells us, uh, at the last times. Uh, let, me, let me interject right here, too, that uh, my study led me then to the first mention of the Antichrist, which is in the book of Daniel, mm -hmm. and what Daniel has to say there. It's really quite uh, exhaustive. And then that led me to Matthew 24, then to Second Thessalonians 2, uh, to First John and Second John, where the Antichrist terms occur, the only place in the Bible, yep. and then uh, to the book of Revelation, chapters 11 through 19, where the Antichrist is covered in great depth. So uh, when I went through all this study, I was deeply impressed with how urgent the times are <laughs> uh, to get ready for the last times, uh, or the end times, uh, these studies indicate uh, various uh, signs that take place, such as the increased uh, understanding of prophecy, uh, the, the, the fact, as Jesus says, that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Yeah. And certainly today, if Jesus were to return tomorrow, we could say, well, the gospel has indeed gone out into all the world. And, and so even though the specific date setting uh, is not to be entered into, we should not uh, try to predict that with accuracy that way, we can certainly say we're far, far closer to the end times than ever before. Well, we certainly are. Going back to what you said about the Thessalonians being a little bit unclear on the times in which they were living and Paul correcting them and saying, no, first you have to have the apostasy, then you have to have the revealing of the man of lawlessness. What are your thoughts about the state of apostasy right now? Clearly, there are different places in the world where the gospel is going forward and bearing more fruit than other places. I think we tend to see everything from our perspective as Americans and see, in many respects, the country going down the toilet uh, spiritually and morally, if I can say it that way. What are your thoughts, though, on where we are in terms of apostasy, especially when we see some of these statistics about people who are professing Christians not even understanding Christian doctrine and, and in many respects not even having a biblical worldview? I mean, all these polls that have been done on biblical knowledge and biblical literacy are just appalling for people who are professing Christians. But how do you see it? How do you examine all of this and put it in perspective? Well, again, I could not uh, make any uh, predictions with accuracy as to where we are and what specific day or year we are in, in the sense of when the Lord is going to return. Uh, as you just pointed out, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in working in bringing people to salvation and building His Church uh, is different around the world, and there are wonderful places where the Gospel is having tremendous impact. I'm thinking of the countries of India, and certain uh, other countries around the world, 
the Philippines and elsewhere, and even in Muslim countries, a significant turning to Christ. Uh, When I look at the West, and I'm thinking primarily of Western Europe and and the United States, uh, it's a different picture. Western Europe is, pardon me, is basically in in apostasy, generally speaking, and the United States is making uh, uh, directions uh, going that way. And just where we are in that, only the Lord knows the true understanding of things. And so I can only say that uh, the era of uh, Christian influence in America is waning, and uh, it it is a serious call to repentance and to revival. Repentance for our nation from our great sins and revival of the Church. I think the best church uh, in Revelation 2 and 3 that describes this of the seven churches is the final church, the Church of Laodicea. Mm. I and a friend were talking about this just yesterday, and it seems that we would be better to be uh, hot than neither, uh, and, and neither uh, uh, we should be either cold or hot yes. and not lukewarm, and that the state of the church is lukewarm in America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've lost our first love in many respects. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what's so dis- disquieting about the entire scenario is that you have to have the apostasy first and then the revealing of the man of lawlessness. You've pointed out that the Antichrist really is the prime indicator of the end times, right? Yes. That, that is certainly the case, and, yeah. and I was amazed at how much the Bible teaches us about him. I put together in an appendix, I think, over 100 statements uh, that it makes in the book of Daniel and elsewhere in the New Testament about him. Yes. Well, I want to get into some of that because you have mentioned there are a lot of references throughout Scripture to the Antichrist, but mainly I want to start with Daniel. We've got to pause for a very short break. We'll come right back with Dr. James DeYoung. The Apocalypse is Coming is the name of his book. We'll return right after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the South and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible study, 
studies and worship gatherings for these refugee families, and the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. James DeYoung, Senior Professor of New Testament Language and Literature at Western Seminary, Portland, Oregon, and author of The Apocalypse is Coming, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon. Such an important subject. And when we were talking about the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the warning there to the church from the Apostle Paul, he warned of a time of apostasy having to precede the revealing of the man of lawlessness, also known as the Antichrist. But as you mentioned before, going all the way back to Daniel, you see the Antichrist mentioned and expounded upon. What are the most significant aspects of the identity of the Antichrist or the role of the Antichrist do we learn from Daniel? Well, it is amazing that uh, Daniel gives us the first concept of the Antichrist in the Bible and uh, therefore among the Old Testament books. Uh, When I began my study, I never uh, imagined that it would lead to various uh, understandings deeper than I had before. Uh, the Antichrist uh, is revealed first somewhat indirectly in Chapter 2, but clearly indicated in Chapter 7. In Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has the great dream, and he doesn't tell his astrologers and interpreters what it might be so that they don't deceive him as to what it might mean. And so Daniel, with his three friends, seek the Lord's understanding about that, and the Lord reveals it to him, and, he, and Daniel identifies it as a mystery. And the mystery is that God has his kingdom in heaven above, and he's going to bring his kingdom to earth below, and that he is uh, truly uh, great in wisdom and in power. Right. He has wisdom to know all the empires in the course of history in the future, and he has the power to bring it about. And so Daniel reveals to Nebuchadnezzar that he, uh, Babylon, is the head of the image, and goes on to indicate uh, lower parts on that image as being Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome, the two legs, and then says on the bottom of the uh, two legs or ten toes, mixed with iron and clay. But interestingly, he says, out of the mountain will come a stone that will strike the, uh, the huge image and bring the whole thing crashing, striking it on the toes and bringing the whole image to uh, an end. Uh, it means that there's a fifth kingdom yet to come after Rome, which is the Antichrist kingdom of ten nations. When we get to chapter 7, there are three beasts revealed to Daniel in his dream, and he is told the interpretation of it refers to, again, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and then uh, Rome as the final beast, but that final beast is indescribable in the sense that there's nothing like it in the creation uh, around us, and on that beast are ten horns, and those ten horns then we're told uh, are a final kingdom that will arise after the fourth one, And out of that will come a little horn, which will strike down some of the ten horns and will rule and will strike against God's kingdom, strike against God, the Most High, and against God's people on earth, the saints. And so when we compare those two chapters, two and seven, we realize that the ten toes correspond to the ten horns of chapter seven. And when we carry that vision onward into Daniel, we find out that the Antichrist will have his precursors in history, 
and Antiochus IV rises in the 2nd century B.C. to become the worst uh, ruler of Greece against Israel, tried to destroy Israel, outlaws the Torah, outlaws uh, faithful uh, worshipers, outlaws circumcision, and so forth. And then Antiochus is finally uh, routed by the Maccabean revolt described in the history books of the Maccabees. Hmm. And uh, so Antiochus all of a sudden becomes a type uh, of the greater person to come at the end of the age to do uh, evil against God's people, namely the Antichrist. Uh, and if you want me to go on, I can finish Daniel in this way. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you one question, because when you're talking about the toes and you're talking about the horns, one of the things that comes to mind is Revelation 13, because there's a discussion there of the first beast of Revelation. There's a reference to the beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads. And it goes on to say uh, they worship the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying who is like the beast and who can fight against it. But then it says, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. And then it says it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So for a lot of Christians, they'll say, is that a direct confirmation of what Daniel was prophesying? Oh, yes. The answer is, oh, yes, certainly it is. Uh, several of the things you just read from Revelation 13 and also from 17 are directly coming uh, from the book of Daniel. For Daniel tells us again in chapter 8 that uh, the Antichrist, uh, typified by Antiochus IV, uh, will speak blasphemous things against God. He will make war with the saints and so forth. Right. It is clear that uh, when we get to Revelation 13 and 17 that John the Apostle is is. Ex- expanding on Daniel, and all the seed thoughts of Revelation are found in Daniel. Right, Uh, right. Yeah, so then those people who are looking at Revelation 13 and seeing the beast making war on the saints, uh, sometimes there's some confusion about the timing of the end times, you know, when will the Lord come back for his church? Are we really going to go through tribulation? And is tribulation going to be the same thing as the great tribulation? How do you sort that out from an event, you know, list or event list, as it were, in terms of the, you know, chronology of it? Well, yes, let me uh, say something first before I get to that. Uh, If the Antichrist is going to rebel against God and and try to destroy God's people, I was puzzled by how can he do that when God is in heaven above and his people are on earth below, and how can the Antichrist attack God in heaven? And when I did my study of the Antichrist in 1 and 2 John, I realized the answer to that is the the incarnation of God on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So he's going to attack Christ on earth, the incarnate one, and his people, and that's how Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled as we come to the New Testament. Wow. Uh, so as we go on to uh, understand the acts of the Antichrist and the timing of events, it is clear uh, that the Great Tribulation is prophesied in Daniel 12.1, and Jesus uses those terms to describe that same time uh, in Matthew 24.21. So when we come to Matthew 24, it is clear that Jesus is referring to Daniel. In fact, he quotes Daniel in verse uh, 15. And nowhere else in the New Testament is Daniel ever named, hmm. and Jesus is the only one who uses that name. Yeah. Uh, l- let me also say that uh, Jesus is very much aware of Daniel's prophecy when we get to Matthew 13, 
and and Jesus' great uh, uh, statements about the parables, the seven parables of the kingdom, he says in verse 11 that the kingdom of heaven is like unto these things. That is, uh, he's saying uh, the book of Daniel uh, is being uh, symbolized by these various parables of what's going to happen, and Jesus uses the terms the end, uh, the harvest at the end of the age, and so forth, in two or three times at the end of chapter 13. So when we get to chapter 24 and verse 15, uh, we are already at the middle point of the tribulation, according to Daniel 9.27. Daniel says that uh, in the middle of the week, the last 70th week of Daniel, uh, the Antichrist is going to break his covenant and uh, commit what we call the abomination of desolations, or make desolate the temple. Right, right. And Jesus quotes these words in verse 15, and he says, And therefore when you see that which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, take heed and understand. Jesus is saying we've reached that midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist is going to vent his anger against Israel in an unprecedented way. That's scary to think about. So the Antichrist, really, when you go through all of the Bible, the Antichrist comes with, what, about seven or more titles, I believe you say, seven or more than that. Yes, at least six or seven. And uh, so Daniel will use various ones, uh, the blasphemer, the one who takes, uh, 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 speaks evil things against God. Uh, Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. Uh, He's the desolator of the temple. And, of course, First John and, and Second John call him the Antichrist, the only place in the New Testament where those terms are used. Yes. So then he will be drawing the Gentile nations to Israel to destroy it then during the Battle of Armageddon. Yes. Yes. So, so we believe, I believe strongly, uh, that the rapture occurs at the, beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the tribulation. That's called a pre-tribulational rapture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I well, that's a, a debated issue, you might say, but it is far stronger to believe in a pre-millennial understanding of the course of the ages to come than an amillennial one, and I take many uh, pages to discuss the basis of pre-millennial thinking uh, from the book of Daniel. And after my study of Daniel, I became convinced more than ever before that this is the only proper and, and uh, legitimate way to understand the future course of, of history. Yes, right. So, well, well, and that's, that's important because when you're talking about different eschatological positions, the way that, in, in fact, the entire book of Revelation is interpreted by amillennials is completely different and, and spiritualized to a large extent. So that's, that's a completely different system of thought than premillennialism would be. Yes, I take uh, pains to uh, elaborate on the on what is lost if you take an amillennial view. An amillennial view to the Bible means that basically we're taking a spiritual or figurative approach to prophecy. And on page 15 and 29 and 30, I list about 25 things that are lost if one takes an amillennial view. Yep. There's no literal great tribulation. Uh, there's no literal, really, antichrist. Uh, there is no seven-year period of uh, attack against uh, Israel, at least in the three-and-a-half years at the end. There is no literal restoration of Israel. 
Israel has been replaced by the church, and on and on it goes like that. Yes. Yeah, it's a real problem because when you're, and I want to talk about this with you in a little bit, this whole issue of in order for us to know that prophecy has been fulfilled, it has to be literal. I mean, we would, you know, when we look at Old Testament prophecy predicting the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, we know that he was to be born in Bethlehem because scripture said so, and then he was born in Bethlehem. There was a way to see prophecy and then see the fulfillment of prophecy precisely because it was literal. And why would we think any differently when it comes to future prophecy makes total sense we're going to take a break we'll be right back the apocalypse is coming dr james DeYoung with us we'll be back after this This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Boy, there is so much to talk about when it comes to the end times. There's no way an hour is going to do it justice, but we're doing our best here. Dr. James DeYoung is joining me. The name of his book, The Apocalypse is Coming, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon. Dr. DeYoung, I want to talk uh, about the second aspect, a major aspect of the end times that you discuss in the book. You had referenced before the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, and I'm reading from verse six from chapter two, and you know what restraint him now talking about the man of lawlessness so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way then that lawless one will be revealed whom the lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming when you talk about the restrainer though in your book you discuss the role of the united states which i find fascinating can you tell people how you see the united states fitting into Bible prophecy as a restrainer? Yes, this was a special, uh, uh, delightful discovery on my part, because again, as I had started this whole study in Second Thessalonians and came to the verses you just read about the restrainer, in my research on this, I discovered that even though uh, it is a popular uh, evangelical view to understand that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer today, yes, uh, in, in fact, that is the view of the Schofield Reference Bible, the Bible I sort of grew up on, on as a teenager. Uh, I realized that that is not the uh, view of the Church through history, that the view in uh, of the Christian Church in history has been that it is government and rule, the rule of law, and so forth. And I found that uh, the greatest confirmation of that internally from the Scriptures is Romans 13. Hmm. When we compare Romans 13 with Second Thessalonians 2, Paul uses the idea of restraint several times in Romans 13, and therefore I've come to the view that uh, the restrainer is government and law, and there have been various governments, and and in fact, we can say all government represents restraint of greater evil. That's what uh, Romans 13 is all about. Yes. But as we look at the nations today, in the last hundred years, I think it's fair to say that uh, no other country has served the role as restrainer of evil in the world than the United States. Hmm. 
Uh, we can think of World War One and Two and other wars that have happened and dictators being overthrown and so forth. Yes. And and so the the United States fits this bill, so to speak, uh, better than any other nation in history. Therefore, I understand that the restrainer uh, today is the United States, uh, at least the restrainer par excellence, and I devote a whole chapter, chapter one, to uh, supporting that idea. If that's the case, then what happens to the United States is very, very significant in regards to its role in history. Uh, it may well be that we act as the uh, final restrainer of evil. Interestingly, Paul says in Second Thessalonians 2, that the mystery of lawlessness, that's terminology that comes from Daniel, is already at work. Hmm. And he uses the present tense, and he's saying that this is a, a, a work of evil that is going on in the world, has always been, but it gets progressively worse as time goes on. Right. And so when the United States is removed or pushed aside or whatever, uh, uh, to use a popular phrase, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Uh, the restrainer, namely... Uh, is removed, and then the Antichrist uh, appears, and and he will act as the restrainer or controller of the earth. Mm -hmm. The whole world will give allegiance in one form or another to him. He will he will serve as the 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 solver of the world's problems, and under great deceit, he will be uh, forwarded uh, really by the by Satan himself as the only answer to the world's problems. Goodness. And, and then as we look at the world today, my, what a fitting place uh, the world has for him now, in the sense that, uh, think of the pandemic and, and the solution to that and all of the other efforts that are going on in the world, the rise of uh, military power in China and so forth. Right, right. The Great Reset that I had mentioned at the top yeah. of the show. Yeah, exactly. There's some really strange things coming down the pike. Just a technical question, though, because I know there may be some listeners who are wondering about this. In Second Thessalonians 2, verse 7, it uses the pronoun he, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Is there any exegetical problem with that pronoun reference squaring with what you're saying could potentially be a reference to the United States. Does that pose any sort of problem exegetically? I, I don't think so, because Paul uses two ways to refer to the restrainer. He refers to it as an it, uh, a thing you might say, and then secondly as a he or, or a personal. And so I understand that in the first place to refer to government in the abstract or rule uh, or law in the abstract, and secondly the ruler of the country. And interestingly, Paul in Romans 13 talks about both ways. He talks about submitting to uh, government and then also to its rulers. So uh, that's how I would resolve that. That's not a, a problem per se. Yeah. It's really, it's a, re it's a problem for, for all people who interpret this verse, because the Holy Spirit is a, an equally challenging way to fit him into both ways of referring to him. Yes, fair point. So now you discuss a bit about the signs God has given to our nation and the world. I mean, here we are on the precipice of another presidential election that is quite daunting because you don't have two sides that are that close together. You have very, very different views, not only uh, worldviews, but also views of what the United States ought to be. What about these signs that you think God has given to our nation? You, you've mentioned 9-11. You've mentioned the pandemic. What about these signs? What is the Lord trying to reveal to our nation, do you believe? The, the need for repentance, clearly. But how, what do you make of it? Well, the signs of the times is a phrase that Jesus uses in Matthew 16, 
and he scolds the Pharisees for not listening or looking for the signs of the times, even though they could tell the signs of good weather and bad weather. And I think Jesus is referring again back to Daniel and the various things that Daniel is uh, prophesying concerning the end of history. Yes. May, may I interject something else here? Uh, Daniel talks about four kingdoms followed by the fifth, namely that of the Antichrist. Yet when we get to Revelation 13 and 17, there are seven heads and ten horns and all of that. Well, the seven heads represent Daniel's four plus the Antichrist plus two more that preceded Babylon, and they're identified in Isaiah and in Ezekiel as, uh, first of all, Egypt and then Assyria. So when we add up all those kingdoms, they are those empires that have attacked Israel in the course of its history. Hmm. And uh, Rome was the last one and the predominant one during Paul's time. So the signs of the times refer, broadly speaking, to the rise and fall of various empires. Uh, and, and may I expand on this a little bit? When we, when we read Acts and how Paul uh, came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel there for just three weeks, or two weeks and three weekends, I guess, uh, he was chased out of the city uh, by Jews and the uh, uh, local magistrates because the Jews said he preaches uh, another ruler other than Caesar. <laughs> and that allowed uh, the local civil uh, leaders to uh, find a reason to get rid of Paul, you might say. And so what I firmly believe now is that when we preach the gospel and when Paul preached it, he he spoke not only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but his return as king of the world. Yes. And that is another sign. Uh, here we have all kinds of democracies, Republican forms and otherwise, that have arisen in the last 200 years. And these stand as a bulwark, you might say, against evil, greater evil in, uh, that comes from globalism. But now look at what's happening. And you referred to this reset for scheduled for next year. Uh, this is a globalistic uh, tendency or uh, pattern. And so, uh, uh, again, we're, we're sitting at a very critical issue or balance in time and history in which uh, we're going to see uh, an abrogation of uh, Republican democratic forms of government for a greater globalistic concern and, and control of government. So that's another sign of the times. Yes, and, and this is something Christians have discussed all my life. I've heard people talk about this, the one world government, the yeah. aspect of the Antichrist exerting worldwide control and together with his false prophet forcing everybody to receive his mark of 666. So all of these things we know are discussed in Scripture and the question becomes, what else should we know about some of these major signs concerning the end times? There's another one I want to talk about with Dr. James DeYoung. We'll take one more break. The Apocalypse is Coming is the name of his book. We'll be right back to the discussion on Janet Meffer today. Did you know that Bible-less believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible. 
Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 yes word 800 yes word 800 yes word or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com are you in need of a health care program you're in luck as a member of liberty health share you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses you can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month and there are no contracts or commitments Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. James DeYoung is joining me, Senior Professor of New Testament Language and Literature at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And we are talking about his book, The Apocalypse is Coming, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon. Now, Dr. DeYoung, we had gone over some of the data, biblical data on the Antichrist. We talked some about the potential role of the United States as this restrainer of evil referenced in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Something else, though, that you mentioned is the restrainer, um, I'm sorry, the, the issue of mystery is what I wanted to get to, the concept of the mystery that governs the events that reach to the end of the world. And you say this is really a key to unlocking the prophecy that we see in the Bible about the end times. What should we know about this word mystery that is used in Scripture referencing this time period? Well, that's a wonderful question. I, again, discovered when I got to Daniel how a marvelous uh, mystery is revealed to us. It is a term that uh, in the uh, Aramaic of Daniel chapter 2 is the word raz, and uh, the Greek is mysterion, um, from which we get our English word mystery. And uh, there are concepts of this uh, that precede Daniel from the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, but when we get to Daniel, he's the only one that uses it in this sense, that there's a, a ruler in heaven above, namely God, over all, and he's going to bring his kingdom to earth. And it's going to be uh, by means of the stone cut out, cut out of the mountains without hands. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And in chapter 7, this same one is identified as the Son of Man coming on to the Father to receive authority to rule. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title in the Gospels, and he uses that to... Uh, at his own trial, and finally, when he's asked uh, after several times who you are, he says, I am the Son of Man, and you will see him coming on the clouds of heaven. And it was at that statement that the high priest tore his garment and declared he blasphemed. Because when we go to Daniel 7, which is part of uh, the whole concept of mystery, the Son of Man will be revealed, and he is uh, a divine person. So, uh, 
connecting all these dots, uh, the mystery means that God rules in heaven above, and he's going to bring his kingdom to earth and supplant all Gentile kingdoms, bring history to an end. Uh, Luke 24:21 says, Jerusalem will be surrounded by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Hmm. And so that age, this present age, is going to come to an end, and all of this is encompassed in mystery. One other interesting element of mystery, so, so mystery covers all of the book of Daniel and many and 25 uses in the New Testament, but an interesting concept occurs in uh, chapter 12, in which uh, Daniel is told that he's going to rise to his uh, inheritance at the end of the days. Very, very strong statement of resurrection. Hmm. And it was interesting uh, to me to come across these words in one of the Gospels, in which Jesus, uh, well, it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, when Martha says, we know that he will rise, namely Lazarus, will rise at the end of the days. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful reference <laughs> to what Daniel says, and yeah. what happens and is prophesied for Daniel. Right. And so mystery contain, uh, really concerns is a broad umbrella a concept that concerns all the end-time fulfillment events, including our own resurrection. And we can identify here the rapture of the Church, according to First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. And, and on and on it goes like that. Yes. It's exciting. I mean, I, I always feel two ways about it. On the one hand, when I get into the details about the end times, there's an element of it that is scary and very daunting. But at the same time, it's thrilling because we know that God is fulfilling his promises. Do you see the church? Uh, you had mentioned in your book that while we're delivered from the great tribulation, we will experience tribulation and suffering. And I think that always makes us all a little nervous. I don't want to be persecuted. But, you know, uh, we do see an unprecedented global persecution of Christians within the last year. And that also seems to be playing into the way things are moving and the direction we're going. But what sort of encouragement can you give to the church here in the United States as far as staying faithful to Jesus Christ, regardless of what is ahead for us? Well, that's a a powerful statement or question, uh, because indeed, uh, on the one hand, people criticize those of us who believe in the rapture as uh, wanting to escape tribulation. Well, it's true on the pattern of, uh, let's say, uh, Noah and, uh, and his family that escaped from the, uh, the Great Flood and, and uh, Lot escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a true principle that God delivers his people from uh, great destruction and tribulation, yeah. but he doesn't promise us escape from tribulation, you might say, with a little t. Right. The, the great encouragement, among many others, is, uh, is that found in the book of Revelation, again, a message to the seven churches that he who overcomes, I will grant all these wonderful things that are going to be fulfilled in the in the uh, new heavens and new earth. And so the exhortation and encouragement of the Lord Jesus himself is the primary uh, uh, incentive and, and strength that we have uh, facing uh, our persecution and tribulation. Yes. Well, and we have to be realistic about it because you go through some of the details about what we're going through in the United States in terms of turning away from Christianity. Some people have said that we are now in a post-Christian era. I think that's absolutely undeniable. You have even public officials now not even understanding what Christianity is and trying to make a big deal about how out of touch Christians are because they believe, for example, homosexuality is sinful. And they think that's absolutely archaic and strange. I mean, we're so 
so ignorant in this nation. And, and what sorts of possibilities does that open up for us to pray that the Lord will revive this land once again and revive his church? Surely we always have the hope that the Lord will awaken his church once again and, and bring new uh, unbelievers into the kingdom as well. Yes. You know, Janet, I would say that I don't want to uh, yield to the concept that we are living in a post-Christian era. I know that we are in, in some respects, maybe many respects, but as long as God holds open the uh, possibility of repentance and uh, turning away the uh, nation from evil, such as the promises of Jeremiah and uh, Second Chronicles and so forth, and in the New Testament, the messages to the seven churches, it's not a post-Christian era as long as there's the potential to repent. Amen. And the uh, post-Christian era finally ultimately dawns with the uh, rise of the Antichrist. Right. That That's a really good point, and I think that's encouraging, too. And it it's never over till it's over. I mean, I that's think, right. yeah, I mean, I think that there's always a tendency with Christians when they they feel overwhelmed, and I, I can fall into this a little bit myself at times. All right, Lord, I... There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. The world is just spiraling downward. It's never going to get any better. But we really fail to see the arc of history when we give up too soon, don't we? Yes. You know, another sign of the times is the rise of Israel. We haven't mentioned that yet. Yes. Israel uh, having a new birth of uh, nationhood in 1948 and what's happening more recently. Uh, I think the present administration's uh, uh, sympathetic support for Israel in various ways, such as recognizing Jerusalem as the capital and moving our embassy there, recognizing uh, the control of the of Israel, the Golan Heights, and things like that, are significant in light of two great passages of the Bible. The first is the Old Testament promise to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, that uh, those nations that bless you, I will bless, and those that harm you or curse you, I will curse. Yes. And then when we get to the prophetic portion, again, of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 25, Jesus in the parable of the sheep and the goats says, I'm going to separate all the nations in the end at the judgment into two categories, those who have treated my people, the least of these my brothers, well, and those who have not. And the goats are those who have not, and they are going to be uh, confined or consigned to eternal torment forever. And those who have uh, blessed and taken care of his people by, uh, in turn, therefore, that's reflecting on their treatment of Jesus himself, those are going to be blessed and go into eternal life. Well, look at where our nation has been. There's been no other nation in modern history that has been so supportive of Israel. Yes. And so that's a significant reminder, and not to give up yet on this country. I agree with you. And, and not only that, but the recent you know countries that have come alongside Muslim nations to make peace with Israel. I mean, that's huge. And the media has not made a, a big deal about that. But in my mind, I'm thinking that nobody probably thought this could have been done even five years ago. Oh, I think that's very, very significant. It's happening as late as yesterday or the day before in regards to uh, Sudan. Yes, right. And uh, I, I think this is truly remarkable. I've, I've been thinking on it a little bit, but need to give a greater reflection. Uh, and that, again, seems to be setting the stage for those kinds of events that will unfold during the Great Tribulation. Well, there's a lot to look forward to. And I want to once again commend the book to you. It is called The Apocalypse is Coming, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon, written by Dr. James DeYoung. Just a wonderful deep dive into the Bible and telling you what you need to 
to understand about what is coming because we know God's word is true. Dr. DeYoung, so good to have you with us. Thank you very much for joining us and God bless you. Well, thank you. I want to remind the readers or listeners that they can also listen to podcasts about some of these titles and that podcast identification is given on the back cover of my book at www.anchor.family or FM and then slash James slash D-E slash Young. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. DeYoung. God bless you. And we appreciate all that you do for the kingdom of God. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today.